Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to our program. My name is Ellie Nieves and I'm a women's leadership speaker, writer, and coach. I'm also the founder and president of Leadership Strategies for Women. I work with and speak for companies, organizations, and associations that want to develop their emerging leaders into effective managers and executives. I also coach women who want to achieve more both personally and professionally. Through my speaking and coaching programs, I help individuals and organizations to develop leadership skills and set strategic goals that will help them to achieve their vision of success. If you would like me to speak to your company or to your association or group, please go to leadershipstrategiesforwomen.com and click on the speaking tab. And for more information on my coaching programs, you can also look to the website for more information. We have an informative program for you today. Our guest is Dr. Sherry Borg-Carter. She is the author of the book, High Octane Women, How Super Achievers Can Avoid and Overcome Burnout. But before we bring Dr. Borg-Carter on, I want to share some leadership strategies with you on effective networking for career advancement. Networking and career advancement go hand-in-hand in your development as a leader. Where and how you spend your time networking will largely determine or will largely be determined by where you are in your life and in your career as well as, well as where you want to go. And where you are in your career is just one of the factors that you should consider in planning your networking strategy. So if you are in the early stages of your career, you should invest in professional associations. And don't just be a member who pays membership dues and attends the occasional membership meeting. Look to become a valuable member who gets involved in committee work and assumes a leadership role within the association. This kind of participation will help you to develop meaningful relationships and will establish a foundation for a substantive professional network that you can rely on for years to come. And if you're in the middle level of your career, it's important that you spend an increasing amount of time building relationships within your organization especially if you've determined that you want to grow in a in a, into a leadership role where you currently work. Now, become intimately familiar with those who are key influencers within your organization and create opportunities to align yourself with them. This is also a good time to start identifying mentors within your company who will invest in both your personal and professional development. And if you're at an executive level, and this is assuming that you're not new to your organization. As an executive, you have ideally built key relationships in your company that have helped you to get ahead. At this point in your career, consider returning to the professional association circuit, but not as a member, this time return as an expert. Look to increase your value, uh, to, look to increase your value to your company by contributing to the discourse in your industry, not only is this going to enhance your personal brand, but it's also going to help to strengthen your company's position and presence in the marketplace. And considering where you are before launching your networking strategy will help you to become a more efficient networker. It will also help you to make the most of your networking opportunities. So now we're going to move on to our guest for today. Our guest is Dr. Sherry Borg-Carter. Dr. Sherry Borg-Carter is the author of the book, High Octane Women, How Super Achievers Can Avoid and Overcome Burnout. 
She's a nationally recognized psychologist who specializes in extreme and traumatic stress in women and children. Her television appearances include The Today Show, CNN Headline News, and Fox News. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a part of our show today. So, Sherry, to kick off our show, can you share with us a little bit about your background? Well, I'm a psychologist. That actually means a lot of different things to different people. There are many different types of psychologists. The the career path I took wasn't exactly a perfectly straight one. There were a few curves. I think that's the case for many, many women who start out in various fields. But I started out um, with an interest in the field of psychology and began working in a rape treatment center where my college was. And that ultimately raised my awareness about the, the stress women experience, um, particularly traumatic stress. That work actually brought me into the court system a lot because of trials um, of the sexual assault victims. And that brought me into contact with a lot of high-achieving women, judges, lawyers, chemists, doctors, a variety of strong women, successful women who worked in the legal system. And I started noticing over time that a lot of those women, as bright as their lights were when they when I first met them and they first started out in their careers, they many of them were burning out and stressing out so much because of all the pressures. And that is what really led me to what I'm doing now, which is writing and working with writing about and working with high achievers who um whose stress has become so incredible that they've actually burned out or they don't want to burn out so they come and get some advice or some suggestions about how to not do that. Right. So why is your book High Octane Women an important story for professional women to hear? Well, because I think that today's women face so many stressors than uh, women in in past generations. Um, There's pressure from jobs, there's pressure from families, there's pressure from society on what women should be and how they should act. There's just so many stressors that are bombarding women today from so many directions that um, I think they're one of the groups that's at the highest risk for burnout, and that's why it was important for me to write that book. I, I saw it happen to way too many bright successful women, and I thought it was a story that needed to be told um, with some advice on on how to not get down that road yourself. So in your book, you make the analogy between high-achieving women and high-performance engines. What Mm -hmm. is a high-achieving woman, and why does that analogy fit them so well? Well, a lot of people think of high achievers as being associated with only certain professions, such as doctors or lawyers or Wall Street types, but that's actually not the case. In fact, I know high achievers in just about every profession you can imagine, and and some aren't in the workforce at all. That's because a high achiever is not where you work or what position you hold. It's really a mindset that propels these people toward excellence and achievement. These these are people who are driven to excel. They're driven to be the best they can be, do the best they can do. They have big dreams. 
enormous enthusiasm and passion for what they do, which helps them get noticed and helps them advance quickly in whatever they choose to do. Um, but it also, uh, the good and the bad, and the bad is that it also causes them to race along at about 200 miles an hour. And when you continue traveling at that speed for long periods of time without stopping to refuel, which many high-achieving women do, um, it leads to stress, and then that eventually leads to burnout. So that's why I use the analogy between high-achieving individuals and high-performance engines, because very much they function like an engine. Um, they don't always do good maintenance to keep that engine working at its best level possible. Okay. And you define burnout as an intense reaction to job stress. How is burnout among high-achieving women different? Well, in my book, I call it burnout with a twist. Of course, everyone's familiar with the concept of burnout. It's nothing new. It's been studied since the 1970s. And burnout really is just when um, chronic stress and frustration lead to three things. One is physical and emotional exhaustion. The next is feelings of cynicism and detachment. And third is a, a, an overriding sense of ineffectiveness and a lack of accomplishment. Um, the reason I say burnout with a twist applies to high-achieving women is because what I just described is normal people with normal job-related stressors experience these things, and that leads to burnout. With high achievers, what you have are extraordinary workers with extraordinary life-related stressors, unique stressors, multidimensional stressors that make them particularly vulnerable to experiencing burnout. So that's why burnout among high-achieving women is different. It's not just work-related stress, but it's the double binds, the double standards, gender discrimination, gender stereotypes, all of those things play a significant role in the stress that high achievers, especially high achieving women, experience in the workplace. Wow, that's interesting. And mm -hmm. I know that you just mentioned it now and you even mentioned it in your book that double standards in the workplace are alive and well in the 21st century. But what is it about most workplaces that allow such double standards to still exist despite the fact that women have made so many gains in the workforce over the last few decades? Well, I think that clearly women are advancing in the workforce. It's much better today than it, than it was in the past. But the truth is that women still face obstacles in the workforce that, you know, simply put, men do not face. It's a system, the, the workforce, the workplace, is a system primarily that men built. And when a certain gender, the male gender, do things, they don't necessarily do it in the same way that a woman may do it. Um, so that we're working in systems that were built by men, organized by men. And we're also working in a system that was based on a model that no longer exists, a model that was developed at a time in our history when men were the sole breadwinners and women were primarily responsible for homemaking and child-rearing. Now, of course, that model is no longer a functional model for most families today. Most families today need to incomes. 
Um, but it's a model that many businesses are reluctant to give up. Change is always difficult, slow in coming. But, of course, that causes enormous stress for not only for women in the workforce but for their families as well because it's it's a model that no longer functions for our society, but because the systems were set up with that model in place when they were developed, it reinforces people who work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and it's very difficult for women to do that and also take care of all of the other things they're expected to take care of in their lives. Good point. So how can women fight against these, gender-based double binds, as you call them, and stereotypes in the workplace? Well, it's not particularly easy, um, and that's primarily because gender-based double standards and gender-based stereotypes are largely invisible. I mean, they're often unspoken. No one is going to come up to a woman and say, you're not getting the promotion because, you know, I perceive you as mean-spirited, bossy, you're a witch. Um, whereas John's the assertive, strong leader, um, they're not going to tell you that they have these stereotypes about you and that's why you're not getting a promotion or that's why you're not moving forward in the company. Um, Another thing that makes things more difficult is that um, it's not just men who hold these gender biases against women. Women also hold these biases against women, that women should act a certain way, women leaders should act a certain way, Um, and that makes it very difficult. So one thing that women can do is educate themselves about what I call a psychologically sick work environment, places that are constantly trying to pull them down and make them sick as well. And once you're educated about how these gender biases and double standards exist and grow in the workplace, then you can advocate for change. You can advocate for education and training to lessen their existence. So that's just one example of um, one thing you can do. But it is very hard. It's very hard to address. Okay. So you also say that society plays a role as well in the stress experienced by high-achieving women. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Well, I see conflicting societal expectations adding so much stress to the lives of high achievers, again, particularly women. I mean, so often women hear conflicting messages, such as, you're going to go to graduate school, aren't you? I mean, you're so smart. Why wouldn't you get an advanced degree? Only to be followed later by comments such as, Now, how old are you? Do you have a boyfriend? Do you have any plans to get married? Surely you want to raise a family. Um, Another one that women hear often, um, especially women who have children here, is you leave your child in daycare from 7 in the morning until 6 at night every day, and, you know, that's often followed by this righteous, indignant look. Those are the things I'm talking about when I say that society plays a role in these stressors that women experience. Um, The expectations of what they should be and do often conflict with one another. They want, society feels women have a place in the workforce and want women to work, but they also want women to be um, perfect mothers and, and stay home and take care of them, and that's just impossible to do. You can't do both things. Right. So how does technology play a role in stress? <laughs> well, technology is probably one of the best and the worst creations of our time. Um, 
it makes things so much easier for us to do and to find. But it also extremely pushes the limits of a 24-hour day. I mean, no matter where you turn in today's society, there's this constant barrage of beeps and buzzes from gadgets. I mean, it keeps us on alert pretty much 24-7. And I think that really adds significant stress to our already stressed-out lives, particularly for those high-level positions or for people who own their own businesses. We live in a, such a technologically advanced world, it's really rare to find someone who isn't connected in some way pretty much all the time. And the expectation that comes with being connected all the time is that no matter how many emails or text messages you're, you're bombarded with, there's this underlying expectation that you're going to respond to that within a pretty quick period of time. So you really have no downtime, um, no time to relax, no time to escape from that constant connection. I think that it, it's a benefit to be able to have things right at your fingertips, but it's also a curse because it. I think it causes a lot of stress and burnout in people's lives, not just women but men too. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. As you describe in your book, many high-achieving women have certain personality tendencies that contribute to the stress in their lives. What are some of these tendencies and how can they most effectively be modulated to reduce stress? Well, I think one of the best ways to describe that is, uh, I'll go back to the analogy of a car. You know when you're taking a trip and you go, you're speeding along the road and you get used to traveling really fast. But if you go, if you start going too fast, most cars will give you signals that you're going a little too fast. The engine gets louder, the steering wheel starts to shake a little bit. Those are warning signs, cues to drivers that you're going a little bit too fast, you've gotten accustomed to the speed you're traveling, you really need to slow down. Now, that happens in all cars except high-performance cars, right? High-performance cars don't really give you those signals. You can be driving at 100 miles an hour, and you're not going to get any of those warning signals. So you keep racing along at that dangerously high speed, um, the same thing happens to high-achieving women. They live inside their own mental high-performance cars. So to them, the speed they're traveling at seems perfectly normal, while everybody else who's watching them is going, how does she do that? That's just amazing that she can <laughs> juggle all those balls yeah. in the air and she never seems to drop one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, is she some kind of superhuman? It's just that they're comfortable traveling down the road at 200 miles an hour. That's the speed they're comfortable at. The problem is that they don't get any warning signals traveling that fast. They Or they, if they do, they ignore the warning signals because I can do this, right. I'm superhuman, I'm superwoman. And if you continue to ignore those warning signals or not know that they're there, that's when you're in dangerous territory. That's when you're at the highest risk for burning out. So what are those signs? What are some of those warning signs that women can look for that might tell them that they're on the road to burnout? Well, they can be broken down into three categories. One is the physical 
signs of stress, the fatigue, sleep problems, chest pain, heart palpitations, headaches, gastrointestinal problems, gynecological problems often are physical signs of stress. There's also um, behavioral signs of stress, how we interact with our environment, how we react to things, um, losing our temper more, getting, getting upset over a minor mistake that someone made. Those are behavioral indicators. Um, changes in our eating patterns, using drugs and alcohol more, being hyper-emotional, losing your concentration, losing your attention, wanting to isolate. All of those are behavioral signs. And the third category is the psychological signals of stress. Those are depression, anxiety, worrying a lot, um, feeling hopeless and helpless. Those are the psychological signs. And when you see those warning signs, um, it's important not to ignore them because that's your body and your mind telling you that you're doing too much and something's got to change. Um, so often I see so many women experiencing these physical signs of stress and they just blow them off and say, oh, it's just a headache. I've been at my computer screen too long. Or, oh, I'm just tired and get, I didn't get enough sleep last night. It's easy to blow them off, but over time our body says, enough and if you don't take a break your body's going to take that break for you and it's going to break down mm. now, in your book you mentioned that high achieving women don't always respond to traditional stress management strategies so what are some of the high octane approaches as you call them that these women might employ to combat the high stress in their lives well, you're right. As I note in my book, those traditional stress management strategies aren't they aren't always particularly helpful to high achievers because as I've noted, high achievers are different. Their job choices, their lifestyles, habits, personalities, they're all very intense. It's that intensity that makes them who they are. It's what keeps them going. But it's also a challenge to find stress management strategies that don't strip away the essence of who they are. So although relaxation and yoga and meditation, taking vacations, although those work for most people, they aren't always particularly effective for high achievers. So many people that I work with, many of the high achievers, I challenge them to think outside of the box. Don't think about what society tells you should be relaxing because that may not be your cup of tea. I know many high-achieving women, myself included, um, that would literally pull their hair out in a yoga class. It's just that's not their cup of tea. So mm -hmm. think outside of the box. Don't let society define for you what relaxation is. Extreme sports, for example, is some ways that high-achieving women will relax, and that sounds kind of you know, contradictory. Well, wait a minute, extreme anything. But that relaxes some people. That's what gets them going. That's what gets them worn out so that they can sleep better. It stimulates their mind. Um, it stimulates their body. So it, the best message I can give to people is if the if the yoga and the long hot baths and all of that aren't working for you, why are you defining relaxation in that way? Think outside of the box. Think what you love to do, what you enjoy to do, what you enjoy doing, and do that. 
That's great advice, and it's a, a unique approach and a way of thinking about it. So, Sherry, if burnout is already set in, is there anything that high-octane women can do to recover aside from leaving their demanding job? Well, there are. Um, the thing that the women I work hate to hear the most is that um, there's no quick solutions. Um, most high achievers want to know, okay, what can I do in the next 60 seconds for me to just get over this and move on? And if you're at the point where you're actually burned out, um, there are no quick solutions. To get back on track, they're going to need to make some significant changes, and that's hard for most high-achieving people. But hard isn't impossible. And if they make, people make lifestyle changes all the time, especially when something significant affects their life, like cancer or a heart attack. And burnout is no different. So if you want to enjoy life again and you're burned out, then change is a must and it's going to take time. It's going to mean cutting back on commitments, possibly cutting back on your hours. Saying no more often. High-achieving women are notoriously bad at telling someone, no, I can't do that. Um, but it's okay to say no. Um, there are things that you really shouldn't necessarily take on, and that's okay. Not being on call 24-7. Basically, all the things that led to burnout in the first place, are going to need to be altered in some way in order to recover from burnout. It's not a terminal condition, Ellie, but it does require some fairly significant changes in your lifestyle for you to recover from it. Good point. So what role does the workplace play in burnout, and what can companies do to combat it? Well, there's a lot of stressors in the workplace, um, and those things can change in many companies. Um, inadequate or reduced resources are one example of the realities of a workplace that cause stress in people's lives. Budget cuts, as we've recently seen in almost all areas of the workforce, of course, lessen the resources workers have to perform their jobs to the best of their ability. There's a lot of fear also going around that causes workers stress, fear that they may lose their job, fear that they, they might get cut back on their hours. All those things cause the workplace to be a very tense situation, even for anybody in today's society. Some innovative workplace approaches that have um, that have actually helped with burnout is um, flexibility in the workplace. Surveys consistently show that one of the most highly ranked perks workers want from their companies is flexibility in their work schedule. Um, and companies are moving toward that model. Many companies are moving toward that model. Um, a benefits program, comprehensive benefits, um, a free gym, a medical center for employees, uh, quality child care, um, just flexibility and supporting wellness in the workforce has been shown to do a great job at reducing worker stress. Oh, Sherry, this has been a great interview. You've shared some incredible information, and uh, you made me realize that I am a high-octane woman. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely going to take a lot of your advice uh, and apply it to my own life, and I really appreciate it when you share that we don't necessarily have to follow the traditional forms of relaxation, that we really have to find something that works for us as individuals. So thank you for sharing that. No problem. Thank, thank you for having Ellie. 
And Sherry, before we let you go, can you share with our listeners where they can find your book? Sure. Um, the book is published by Prometheus Press. Prometheus Press has a website that they can go to. Um, they just Google Prometheus Press and, and it'll pop up. And it's also available on Amazon. It's available at Barnes & Nobles in in Barnes & Noble stores as well as online at Barnes & Nobles. It's pretty much available in just about any bookstore. Great. And if our listeners want to learn more about you, do you have a website you can share? Yes, my website is highachievingwomen.com, and there's a hyphen in between high and achieving. So um, they can go there. They can find out more information. I post articles on there about stress and um, other issues related to high-achieving women and stress. And I also write um, the High Octane Women blog for Psychology Today, so if they go onto the psychologytoday.com website and um, type in my name or find the blog High Octane Women, um, I post an article every couple of weeks about issues related to, to women and stress. Sherry, thank you so much. You've been a great guest. We loved having you on the show today. And we're walking away with some great leadership strategies. And we're looking forward to your next book. I hope you have one on the horizon. I'm writing it right now. It's actually about high-achieving girls and um, the pressure that we, that schools and parents and society and colleges put on girls to achieve to the point where by the time they get to college, they're already burned out. So that's what's next on my horizon. Awesome. We will be looking forward to that. And thank to you, all of my listeners, thank you so much, Sherry. To all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed the program, please go on to the Leadership Strategies for Women page on Facebook and drop me a note. Until next time, God bless.